Good evening, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us uh, for the dry eye disease origin story, understanding the role of MGD. My name is Alice Epitropoulos, and I am joined today by my esteemed colleagues, Drs. Michael Greenwood and Dr. Shepard. So again, I'm Alice Epitropoulos. I'm a cataract and refractive surgeon in Columbus, Ohio. I'm uh, on faculty at Ohio State. Uh, we have a dry eye center of excellence. Dr. Michael Greenward is quite the overachiever. Uh, he is fellowship trained in cornea and glaucoma. He performs advanced techniques in corneal transplants, uh, refractive surgery, MIGS procedures. He does it all at Vance Thompson Vision at, in Fargo, North Dakota. And John Shepard really needs no introduction. Uh, he is the rock star of ophthalmology. Literally, he is an amazing musician. I asked him to do a rap on that, but uh, uh, he also practices ophthalmology. Uh, he is president at Virginia Eye Consultants and professor of ophthalmology, microbiology, molecular biology at Eastern Virginia Medical School. There's a lot of excitement in this field. First of all, the, the site science allows the doctor to come in and do something, not just the technician. I think that's very powerful. Similarly, with uh, thermal pulsation, the doctor places the interfaces and then leaves the room. So there's, there's a, a, an MDOD touch for the patient. Uh, the mask and probe is very effective in people who don't experience much pain. If they have a low threshold, beware. And there's another new treatment out. It's a radio frequency mask that can be used in the office or at home or both with a digital interface. Uh, developed uh, by IDATEC and Barry Linder sitting over there, which is the, the future of ocular surface analysis and intervention for meibomian gland disease uh, with a wide variety of patient presentations. But the pharmacologic future is truly exciting. We, we existed for nearly 20 years with one drug for dry eye, the infamous Restasis, which still sells more than anybody else at about a half a billion dollars despite uh, generics in the marketplace. But the future has a, a number of great candidates ahead of us. Uh, Azura and Novalik and uh, Aldera and Tarsus have exciting products that will be in your prescription pads uh, within the next two to three years. Uh, Mark Gleason's Australia company, Azura, has developed an ad adaptation of a very popular skin medication that works upon the meibomian glands yielding liquid secretions, opening the glands in phase two clinical trials with remarkable sign and symptom results. It works upon disulfide bonds. It's an agent that removes uh, various forms of concretions and keratinization on the lid margin, just as it does for dermatologic patients. And about 50% of patients became asymptomatic, and the meibomian gland quality returned to normal for at least three months. And you see a reduction of, of clogging, saponification, and the delightful spaghetti produced in Dr. Epitropolis's Ohio office. Must be the Columbus diet. So the phase 2B studies uh, truly showed significant improvements. They used the speed score as their, as their primary endpoint, and they found visual analog scale improvements in discomfort and ocular itching as well. There were adverse events, but they were mild and transient, similar to non-treated subjects, and discontinuation was only about 2%. So Novo3 was developed by Novalik in Heidelberg, Germany, and they have partnered with Bausch & Lohm. There are two confirmatory registration phase three trials, the Gobi and the Mohav, and they showed primary efficacy in signs and symptoms in both trials. 
Uh, the sign, of course, was central corneal floor stain staining, and the symptom was visual analog scale dryness. And you will see here, at, at the very beginning of the trial, even within two weeks, that both the signs and symptoms improved with a very narrow standard deviation. Uh, the control, the placebo, was uh, cysteine balance, a drop of uh, over-the-counter similar viscosity to the active agent. And you can see here that in, in both trials, the floral, uh, corneal fluorescine staining dropped very quickly and remained low consistently in both trials, whereas the analog dryness scale decreased and continued to decrease all the way up until the secondary endpoint of 57 days. The primary endpoint, of course, was at 29 days. So this shows rapid onset of action with statistical significance uh, not seen in other clinical trials. Uh, the safety was remarkable. The side effects, the complaints were the same as the vehicle. Uh, we found that in, in some of the analyses, even in responders, that only about 0.2% of patients had significant installation site discomfort. That, again, is unprecedented in other clinical trials. Uh, the reason that Novo 3 is so effective is it's not really a drug. It's, it's just physical chemistry in action. It's a coating agent. It spreads on the surface of the eye immediately. It's a semi-fluorinated alkane. It's water-free, therefore no preservatives. The drop size is only 10 microliters. And it coats the eye, it prevents evaporation. So when you had to take physical chemistry as an undergraduate in pre-med, you might have actually developed a product like this. It is not really a pharmaceutical. And it's different, a different mode of action. You can put in active agents, put this in afterwards, in my opinion, and use conjunctive adjunctive therapy. So uh, this has a PDUFA date in June, and I, I believe that it will be approved. Reproxilap is from Todd Brady's company in Boston, Aldera. This is a RASP inhibitor. Who's heard of reactive aldehyde species in medical school? Nobody. You know, nobody's heard of a number of parallel important anti-inflammatory targets that have heretofore not been addressed. We all know about steroids and lipooxygenase and cyclooxygenase. Well, the, these reactive aldehyde species are causing mischief throughout our body, especially on the ocular surface. And if you look at the phase two and three studies, the tranquility trials, which have been duplicated, you see an immediate drop in both the, the ocular dryness score as well as the dry eye chamber score. There's a CAE, a controlled adverse environment, where you stick someone in a box with 18% humidity and make them stare upwards for an hour and a half at a TV with a fan blowing in their face. And that's meant to accelerate the development of dry eye signs and symptoms and facilitate the analysis of rapid recovery with a given pharmaceutical agent. It's worked well in phase two and uh, earlier trials. It hasn't worked really well in phase three trials, but it's, it's a great torture test. The Schirmer test was also shown to improve and show sustained improvement. And the responder analysis showed re remarkable uh, duration and patient satisfaction. Uh, this particular agent is also submitting data for the treatment of allergic disease. This is a steroid efficacy-like drug without steroid side effects. And to have a, a dual indication for allergy and dry eye meets a huge unmet need. There's probably about two-thirds of the 30 million dry eye sufferers in this country who also suffer from ocular allergy. Uh, ocular allergies are the most common form of allergy in this country. 
So over 12 weeks, the Reproxilab treatment was superior to the vehicle in both signs and symptoms in both trials. And the symptoms approved uh, within one to three minutes, as shown in the trial. And one of the adjunctive uh, secondary endpoints was ocular redness, which also improved in the conjunctiva. So the duration in the trials was up to 12 weeks. This is preservative-free, it's well-tolerated, and the lack of adverse events and excellent tolerability also give us great promise. Uh, the reactive aldehyde species metabolite, maldonaldehyde, can be measured in tears. It's higher in dry eye patients. When you give the drug, maldonaldehyde decreases concomitant and in conjunction with the signs and symptoms. So this is actually a, a verified biomarker for improvement in a disease with an integrated inflammation target that corresponds to that metabolite. So the FDA may actually recognize this biomarker in approving the drug. Uh, Lotolaner is from Tarsus Pharmaceutical. Liz Yu, my partner, is the CMO of this company. And they have a, a whole litany of trials all the way up to phase three that shows that this drug, which is a, a specific antiparasitic drug, uh, decreases cholerets. It's not hard to diagnose this. You don't need expensive machines and really good technicians. You just tell the patient to look down and you look for cholerets. If you're really uh, obsessive compulsive, you can yank out the lash and look under the microscope at the living, breathing, crawling demodex and gross everybody out, including the patient. It's even more motivational than a mybomography. But they saw that there was a, a rapid progression to uh, elimination of the cholerets at the primary endpoint at day 43, and that clinically meaningful cholerette cure, but not complete elimination, uh, was also highly statistically significant, and this activity persists in the patient. So this is actually a, a treatment that treats the disease. We've had a lot of interventions for demodex blepharitis, like uh, hypochlorous acid and tea tree oil, and a wide variety of commercial products, uh, but they're just sterilizing antiseptic agents. This is a drug that kills parasites, and it's relevant to a number of systemic third-world infections as well. So you can see that the TAEs were minimal, and they were similar to vehicle, and the drop discomfort uh, was quite satisfactory or very satisfactory in about three-quarters of the patients. So we believe the compliance will be good and that patients will have continued relief. About 80% of people over the age of 80 have Demodex. So raise your hand if you don't have Demodex. Thank you. <laughs> Exciting stuff on the horizon for all of us. It's, it's cool because, again, like we're, you're addressing multiple different mechanisms of action with these things, stuff that doesn't exist yet. So it's more you know, tools in our toolbox that, that we can use to you know, address all the variety of causes. It's like being an internist. You know, you really have a, a very nice way to distinguish different forms of ocular surface disease. My late mentor, Dick Thoft, was the first to identify the ocular surface. There's eight components. There's the conjunctival, there's the corneal epithelium, there's the nasolacrimal drainage system, and the lids and anexa, and there's the lacrimal functional unit, that unit that produces tears. The meibomian glands, the goblet cells, and the aqueous producers, and the lacrimal glands, major and minor. And then, of course, there's the fifth and seventh cranial nerve and the tear film. So there's a, a number of direct interventions that can be applied to each of those individual components, and the ocular surface only functions as well as its weakest member, just like an orchestra with seven virtuosos and one squeaky violin. They sound lousy. Very good. I'm very excited for the future. 
for these dry eye usually don't, Yeah, usually you're not talking about like, hey, dry eyes like super awesome. I can't wait for a patient to come in and talk about their dry eye. But I think we're like getting to that point now. Well, I'd like to just take a couple minutes and entertain any questions before we go into our case presentation. Anybody have any questions or online? Any questions? We have one question from uh, Dr. Renaud. How much emphasis on correct blinking quality and pace do you emphasize to your patients? Are there drugs and procedures that, that have effects that don't last when compared to ocular exercises and perhaps direct lid environmental control? So um, I'll take a stab at it. I mean, I mention it to patients quite a bit. Like even when we're doing like a YAG or anything like that, you can see that they just aren't blinking, they're staining and stuff there. And so I just mentioned to them like, hey, your eyes are pretty dry. Like you just don't blink very much. And they'll kind of, they'll look at me and say, what? And I'm like, well, blink. And I'll say like, you, you can't tell, but your eyes aren't going all the way down. So every once in a while when you remember, just blink real hard and, and that'll help things out. And then, um, so I don't, I don't know any data on it, but I, I do know that it's helpful, uh, you know. And then there is some stuff in the pipeline for people that have uh, like paralysis that will, you know, trigger them to start blinking and do that so they don't have to worry about exposure, keratopathy and things. You know, there was a study that uh, the normal blink rate is about 20 blinks per minute. And when we're looking at our digital device, our phone, our computer, that blink rate drops down to four to six uh, blinks per minute, pretty dramatic. And with the digital era that we're living in today, I think that explains, you know, some of the increase in prevalence that we've, you know, seen with MGD, along with the average American diet, to, to, you know, in, in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, I, I implement the 20-20-20 rule every 20 minutes, look, you know, look 20 feet across the room, blink several times, maybe put some lipid-containing tears, and then resume your, your tasks. Yeah, this is where cranial nerve five and seven come in. If there's a seven problem, they don't blink well. If there's a five problem, they don't feel any irritation, so they don't blink. And, and clearly, younger people are getting dry eye disease. We have worldwide epidemics of ocular surface disease because of digital devices and of myopia because of digital devices and the continued use. So there's going to be a job for all of us for the foreseeable future, thanks to my cell phone. <laughs>